Welcome to the Ridge Life Podcast. We at Pleasant Ridge Christian Fellowship trust this message will be an encouragement to you. If you're interested in more information about our church, visit our website at lifeattheridge.church. So we're going to be in the book of Philippians, chapter number one. And uh, we've just kind of gone through this prayer that Paul has prayed for the church And uh, these 50 words that uh, Paul has prayed, encouraging them and and, uh, really trying to uh, help them grow in their relationship with Christ. And now here, Paul, he's, uh, as he's addressing them, he's now going to give a personal testimony in his own life of what what is going on and what is happening. And if you can remember, uh, Paul here is in prison. And he writes to them, this whole letter is to thank them for this financial gift that has been given to him while he's in prison. And it was sent by Epaphroditus. And uh, they send him this financial gift to strengthen him and encourage him. And he tells him, look, you have been with me since the beginning of this. Uh, from the first day, even until now, you have, you have decided to partner with me in the gospel. And as uh, Paul is talking about uh, these things that are going on in his life, um, we see that Paul's life was a life that was marked with hardships, difficulties, letdowns, depression, being abased, threatenings, danger, and even discouragement. And so to say that Paul's life was, a, was an easy one would be an understatement. Um, And as we'll read here in this text here, Paul's life was, even though that he had all of these things going on in his life, his life was still filled with joy, as he even writes to the uh, uh, Philippian uh, uh, believers here, and he talks to them about this joy that is just overflowing out of his life, even in the midst of the most discouraging and most difficult times in his life. You know, unfortunately... Uh, There are many who believe that a life without difficulty or disappointment is the mark of a Christian life that is blessed by God. Or they believe that if they have difficulties or disappointments in their life, then God's love must not be towards them. So the question must be asked, where do we find real joy then? If our joy does not come from the circumstances Where does real joy come from? How do we find real joy? Where's the happiness? How can we find joy in the circumstances that we are placed in in life? How can we know that the circumstances that I'm placed in are of God's doing? And what is the purpose of all of them? This week, I'm gonna lay some of the groundwork uh, for this. Uh, Here is what Paul talks about, these, these own personal Uh, difficulties that he talks about and how he himself found joy and contentment even in the midst of some of the most difficult circumstances that none of us have even been uh, placed in as what Paul was uh, placed in. And uh, so I'd really like to uh, lay that groundwork, but uh, hopefully next time uh, we meet and talk that we will... uh, continue on this and, and also uh, pursue this a little bit further in, in how we actually use those circumstances for good, how God is using those circumstances for good. 
Uh, but today I'm just gonna lay some groundwork. But here's what I'd like for you to take away with you today. Find joy in your circumstances by focusing on Christ and not self. Find joy in your circumstances by focusing on Christ and not self. So let's read here what Paul has to say about this. Beginning verse number 12, he says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Notice Paul's words here as we, he writes to these believers here in, in verses 12 and 13. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. I want you to know. Isn't it interesting that all of us have a story? Sometimes we wear that story as a badge of honor. We want everybody to know what has happened to us. My circumstance, my difficulty, my trouble. Paul says, I want you to know that what has happened to me, he's telling us a story here. He's telling us our, his circumstance of what he's been faced with in life. What was Paul's circumstance here? He was in prison. He says, I want you to know that the thing that has happened to me, I am now in prison. I'm a prisoner of the Lord, he says. He's in prison. And if there was anyone who perhaps we could say deserved to complain and that life was simply unfair, we could probably give the award to Paul. And say, Paul, you got it. You win. You have the worst story of all. You have the most difficult life. And therefore, you deserve to complain and how unfair life is to you. Surely none of us would ever fault him for being unhappy or in despair as he's in prison. I mean, what if Paul wrote to the Philippian church here and he says, I want you to know how difficult my life has been. And then he begins to name of all the difficulties. Oh, we would surely have much sorrow and much, yes, Paul, yes, you deserve to tell everyone about how unhappy and disappointed your life has really turned out. So I want to show you a few of the circumstances that was in Paul's life here, over the years in Paul's life. Uh, let's turn over to uh, Acts chapter number 16, and uh, we're just going to kind of take a little tour here through some of the difficulties that Paul encountered in his life. Here in Acts 16, we find uh, Paul and Silas, and they're proclaiming the word. They're preaching the gospel. And as they're doing that, they're going through Philippi here, and there are people who are coming to know the Lord. We see Lydia coming to know the Lord. You see the uh, 
this demon-possessed girl is what we're going to read about here. And uh, her owners find out what has happened to her. This demon-possessed girl has come to know Christ. And uh, she is of no to these, uh, to these owners anymore, this slave girl, the ones that owned her. And listen to what happened to uh, Paul and Silas in Acts chapter 16, verses 19 through 24. After they were preaching the gospel, this is what happens. It says, but when, he, when her owners, the slave owners, uh, uh, girl, this demon-possessed girl, but when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, these men are Jews and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept their practice. The crowd joined in attacking them. And the magistrates tore the garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into the prison, ordering that the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. So here is Paul and Silas trying to do something good for God, but yet here they are, they're dragged into the city, their, their clothes are torn off and they're beaten with rods and then thrown into a prison. Boy, those are pretty dire circumstances. That's something that we could probably say, I have a story to tell you. Let's look at another one, Acts chapter 17. Here we find, again, Paul and Silas preaching the gospel in Thessalonica. But then we find them in a very difficult circumstance. Look at verse number five. It says, but the Jews were jealous and taking some, some wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob, set the city in an uproar, and attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out to the crowd. And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, these men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. And Jason has received them, and they are all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, Jesus. And the people and the city authorities were disturbed, and when they heard these things, and when they had taken money as security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. The brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea, and when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. So can you imagine being in a house somewhere and a mob shows up calling for you? It's a very difficult circumstance that Paul and Silas found themselves in. Let's go to another one, 2 Corinthians chapter number 1. Paul here is reminding these believers at Corinth about the comfort that God brings in people's lives and that he's the God of all comfort. And even in the midst of sufferings, we can have hope. Listen to Paul's circumstances here as he tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 5 through 10. For as we share abundantly in Christ's suffering, so through Christ we share abundantly in the comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are com comforted, it is for your comfort 
which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. Here's our story. Let, let us tell you what we experienced. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Instead, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us on him. We have set our hope that he will deliver us again. Paul says that our lives even despaired of, of, of living. We thought we were going to die. That our circumstances and our difficulty was so severe that we despaired of even life itself. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter number 6. Paul goes on. Paul gives us a list of the enduring hardships of his ministry that he faced. Listen to verse number three. But we put no obstacle in anyone's way so that no fault may be found with our ministry. But as servants of God, we command, commend ourselves in every way by great endurance in afflictions and hardships and calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, Sleepless nights, hunger, by purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit, genuine love, by truthful speech and the power of God, with the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left, through honor and dishonor, through slander and praise, we are treated as impostors and yet are true, as unknown and yet well-known, as dying, and behold, we live, as punished, and yet not killed, as sorrowful, yet always rejoicing, as poor, yet making many rich, as having nothing, yet possessing everything. Flip over to chapter 11, 2 Corinthians. Paul here gives the account of his dealings with some false apostles that he calls super apostles here. And he talks about being in need and not making himself a burden to others. Then Paul gives us his personal account of some of these sufferings that he himself endured. Look at verse number 24, chapter number 11. Paul begins here, he says, Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. 295 stripes Paul had on his body, scars, as a constant reminder that he is a faithful minister and a witness of Jesus Christ. And he says here, three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people. Danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, 
in cold and exposure, apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Who is weak? And am I not weak? Who is made to fall? And am I not indignant? If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. The God and Father of our Lord Jesus, he who is blessed forever, knows that I am not lying. At Damascus, the governor under King Arius was guarding the city of Damascus in order to seize me, but I was let down in a basket through a window in the wall and escaped in his hands. You can read about that story in Acts chapter number 9. Paul says, I've, I've had a story here to tell you the things that have happened to me. I want to tell you of my circumstances. Also in chapter number 12, Paul lets us in and on his own personal life here. And we hear some of the most very difficult words to hear is what Paul says. Listen to what he says in uh, chapter 12, verses number seven. So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then I am content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Paul says that a thorn was given to him. When you give something to somebody with no strings attached, what do we call that? A gift. Who gave him this gift? God did. God purposely gave Paul a gift, a thorn in the flesh so that he wouldn't become conceited, so that he wouldn't rest upon his pride. And he says, God gave me this gift. Just think of who Paul was. He was God's messenger. He was his chief apostle to the Gentiles. He was well-educated. He was experienced. He was influential. He had founded churches all over the Roman Empire. He had been used of God to pen much of the New Testament. Surely his life should not have been as difficult. Why would God allow such difficulties in the life of Paul? By now, Paul was well over 60 years old. And a time that in his life at 60, when somebody should be looking forward to retirement age, you know, we got to those golden years. My dad told me that they're not so golden. But here's Paul. He should be looking forward to uh, starting to kind of take it easy. But where was Paul? He was in prison. He wasn't basking on some beach somewhere, getting a suntan. He wasn't taking out his 20-foot uh, uh, Roman yacht cruising around on the Mediterranean Sea for deep-sea fishing. He was in prison. This is his circumstance. He says, I want you to know of the things that have happened to me. And look what he says. It has really served to advance the gospel. 
We find from Acts chapter 28, verses 30 and 31, he was not in a dungeon as he was before, but rather he was in a rented quarters and he was chained to a Roman guard 24-7. And as he's there, chained to this Roman guard, his friends are allowed to come and visit him and Epaphroditus comes and sends him a financial gift. And Paul says, I want you to know the things that have happened to me are really for the advancement of the gospel. Paul's circumstances were enough to make any man unhappy. And yet we find him doing what? He is abounding with joy. He says, listen, in verse 18, what then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And then in that, I rejoice. What was his secret? How could Paul be filled with joy in these dismal circumstances that he found himself in? Well, here it is. Here's one of the secrets. Christ-centered or self-centered? The answer here is found right here within our context. Paul had found joy in Christ and the furtherance of the gospel. Look what he says, verse 12. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. That seems pretty basic, right? In all of Paul's circumstances, as you read through these, uh, those chapters as we just kind of went through, you find how Paul responded to each one of those difficulties in his life. And he responded with joy and thankfulness. Ultimately, he gives praise to God for causing all of those things to happen. No wonder why Paul could pen and, and write with such uh, certainty as he did in Romans 8, 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. James remind us in James chapter one, verses two through five, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given him. Paul here in this text says that he has joy. But that still really hasn't answered our question yet, has it? How? How, Paul? How do you have joy? How do you find joy in your circumstances? The story that you have the things, the difficulties that you have endured. When things are not going the way we think they should. Isn't it interesting that when we find ourselves longing for answers and for wisdom, and when we ask God, guess what he does? He tells us, he shows us exactly from his word how we can find joy. And so God himself speaks through his word and shows us exactly what we need. So let's see what the Bible actually has to say about how we find joy in life, even though the circumstances may be very difficult and dismal. Listen to what Jesus has to say on this subject. He said this, if anyone wishes to come after me, let him deny himself, 
and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life shall lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels shall save it. He made the same point in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, where he shows the difference between the Gentile pagans who eagerly seek after material comfort in this life and those that are believers. And he says this, seek first his kingdom and righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. Jesus himself clearly explains to us how we can find happiness and joy, but it's not the way that the world tells us to find it. The world tells you to find it in things, in pleasures, in comforts. And if those things are taken away from you, and if your comfort is disrupted, then you can't have happiness, you can't have joy. But what does Jesus tell us to do? To deny self. He tells us to take up our cross and to follow him. Lose your life for his sake in the gospels and you'll find it. You have to deny yourself. You see, we were created for his purpose and it is, it, it is our purpose to enjoy God and to glorify him. You know, this really goes contrary to the message of positive thinking and self-esteem that is sadly being preached in practices in churches today. A lot of that self-esteem babble has its roots in the prosperity gospel message, which is basically God wants you to be happy, healthy, and wealthy. The Christian life should never be a life that is lived for self or living for personal fulfillment. We should never live our lives in a way that we are only seeking our own happiness. That is the way towards death. Jesus says, if you want to save your life, you will lose your life. But he says, if you lose your life, you will save it. You have to deny yourself. You see, the Christian life is a life of daily, constant submission to the Lordship of Jesus Christ in which by the indwelling Holy Spirit, we say no to selfish desires and yes to the will of God. It means that we learn to submit every thoughts, every desire, decision, attitude, action, and relationship to the question, does this glorify God? You see, Paul actually took Jesus' words to heart and he lived this out. He says, I want you to know the things that have happened to me it's not woe is me. It's not pity on me. Don't feel sorry for me. He says, I want you to know the things that have happened to me are for the advancement of the gospel. And it's in that that I rejoice. It's because I have lost my life. Galatians 2.20, Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me and the life which I now live in the flesh. I live by the faith of the son of God who loved me and delivered himself up for me. In Romans chapter eight, verses 12 through 13, Paul put it this way. So then brethren, we are under obligation, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you are living according to the flesh, you are about to die. But if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. In Acts chapter number 20, I want you to listen to this. 
Acts chapter 20, verse number 18, Paul says this. And when they came to him, he said to them, you yourselves know how I lived among you. This is Paul talking to the Ephesian elders. He says, how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to the Jews and to the Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now behold, I'm going to Jerusalem constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. Oh, man. Can you imagine? Paul says, I don't even know what's going to happen, but guess what? The Holy Spirit has been testifying to me that what is coming, that what is awaiting me is imprisonment and afflictions, but yet I'm still going to go, and I'm going to go with joy and great gladness because I know that I'm going to be able to proclaim the gospel. He continues, but I do not, this is so key, listen to this, but I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself. You see it? He's denying himself. He's saying, my circumstances don't matter. My life does not matter. I don't count it dear and near and precious and of any value to myself. If only I may finish my course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Paul lived this out. He believed Jesus' words that we are to deny ourselves and take up our cross and follow him. You might say, you know, Mike, that's Paul. <laughs> I mean, he, he, wrote, he wrote the New Testament. He was, he was an apostle. He did some amazing things for God. But yet, did you know that when Jesus spoke those words to deny yourself, you know who he was speaking to? He was speaking to fishermen. He was speaking to laymen. He was speaking to mothers and fathers. He was speaking to people that we would say these are just common, ordinary people. And yet Christ himself called us to deny ourselves and take up our cross and follow him. Look here specifically here what Paul says here in Philippians chapter one, verses 12 through 18. I want you to notice how many times Paul uses the words Christ and gospel. And then I want you to notice how many times Paul uses the word I, I am, and my, okay? Look at this. So he goes through, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole guard and to all the rest of my, impri my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaimed Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? 
only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and then in that I rejoice. You see, Paul shifted the focus off of what was on him to Christ. And he says, I want you to know the things that have happened to me are to serve the advancement of the gospel. So let me ask you a question. Is your life Christ-centered or self-centered? Whether you are a factory worker, a business professional, a housewife, a farmer, a teacher, a student, or whatever you do in life, your goal should be to stay, to have Christ center, that you should have a Christ-centered life. That means that you should be denying yourself and lose your life for Christ. And in so doing, you'll find the key to true life and happiness is what Paul says here. No matter what trials or hardships that you face in life. And I wanna challenge you. I want you to take some time this week and think about the circumstances in your life. Maybe what would be good for you is maybe get out a piece of paper or a journal and write down all the circumstances that are in your life that you consider, these are your stories that you tell. These are the stories that you tell to let have people know of how hard of a life that you've had, to let people know how difficult your life has been. We all have stories. But I want you to think about the stories in your life that you've had. For some, it could be a dead-end job. Some of them, it could be wayward children. Some of them, a rough marriage, financial difficulty, loss of a spouse or family member, health problems, family issues. Write down your story. These are the things that we're always talking about, complaining about, making sure everyone knows how difficult our life is. And so I want you to write these things down. Then beside each one of these things, I want you to ask the question, am I allowing what has happened to me to focus on self or Christ? Am I denying myself and seeking Christ in every single one of those situations? This week, I just really wanted to lay the groundwork of this, but next time we meet, I really wanna give you some more insight on how we focus on Christ in these difficult situations. But I really want you to think about that. Paul says, the things that were given to me, the thorn that was given to me in my flesh, it was a gift. It was a gift of thorns. What has God given you? Difficulties, circumstances, hardships. What has he given you? And are you using that to focus on yourself or on Christ? The answer to that will prove whether you have true happiness and joy or none. Let's pray together. If you're interested in more information about our church or knowing the peace that Jesus gives, visit our website at lifewiththeridge.church.